your Bibles, and I would like you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1. We began singing, we began singing the song this morning, God is on the move, and He is on the move. You may this morning, you may think, well, I don't feel it. How is he moving when we see so many bad things in the world? How is it that he's moving? And the fact is, he is moving, but again, he's moving through people. I've seen it where God moves powerfully in a service like this, where he can move powerfully in one life, and just one or two seats away, another person is absolutely, apparently untouched. One person will receive from God and say, today Jesus changed my life. One or two seats away, somebody says, if we can get to Pizza Ranch in time, we'll get that certain pizza. Nothing happens. God is on the move But he desires to move in you. He desires, it is his plan, it is his desire to move in every person who is here today. No exceptions. Acts chapter 1 talks a little bit about that this morning. Um, In recent weeks, we have been asking why questions. We've been asking why questions. In fact, some of the most important questions you will ever ask begin with the word why. Why am I here? That's a big question that someone that most people will come to at some point in their lives, often many times in their lives. Why am I here? Why did God give me life? Or why did God just save my life? Or why did God just spare my life? I could have died back back there at that intersection. Why am I still here? I I could have died from that disease or that sickness or that injury. Why am I still here? Why is this happening to me? Why now? Why me? Why not me? Some of the most important questions you will ever ask and hopefully answer are why questions. We have been asking why questions as a church. Why do we do what we do? Why are certain things that we practice that we believe that we do here at our church why do we do them why do we believe them why do we say those things why do we proclaim those things why do we trust in those things why we've been asking a lot of why questions two weeks ago two weeks ago it was the sunday before good friday palm sunday um uh the, the day in which we remember Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem, which would begin that remarkable week leading up to his death and his resurrection. Two weeks ago, we asked the question, why do we proclaim the cross of Jesus Christ? I love the cross of Jesus Christ because it transforms. But we asked and we answered that question from the Word of God. Last week, Easter Sunday, Great time of celebration for any body of believers around the world. And we ask the very simple question, why do we celebrate the resurrection? And from the word of God, we asked and and we answered it. 
It's because through the cross and through the resurrection, we have eternal life. Through the resurrection, we have hope. Through the resurrection, we know that there's more than just this. Why? Why are these things important? This morning, I want to ask a very logical next step question, and that is quite simply this. We're going to ask and answer this question from the Word of God. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? This third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we often, we often have a hard time, many people often have a hard time understanding well, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do and why is he important? Notice I do not say why is it. It is He is not an it. He is a he. He's a, he's a third person of the Trinity. He is God. Why is he important? Why do we need him? Why do we need his power? Why do we need to be filled by his Holy? Why do we need him? That's a good question to ask. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit, again, is just kind of a byline, a little tag on the end of the triune God. We, we have a hard time with him, but why is he so important? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? And, and it's, it's very appropriate that we ask it this week. Not because it's Pentecost Sunday. Not because it's that time, but, but the events, the events of Acts chapter 1, where we're going to read to from in just a moment, the events of Acts chapter 1 take place after Jesus' death on the cross. It happened after, Acts chapter 1, the events of Acts 1 happened after Jesus rose from the dead. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus died on a, on a Friday, and on the third day following, he rose from the dead, and then the Bible says for about 40 days, Jesus was with people. He not only saw his disciples, the Bible says he saw hundreds of people. They saw him, they touched him, they beheld him, I think is one of the words that is used. They, they, they saw him, they heard from him, he taught, he interacted with people. But Jesus also knew, Jesus knew that his time with them was going to be very, very short. And those events, some of those events, are recorded here in Acts chapter 1. He was about to depart. Jesus was getting ready to depart, but he was not going to leave his disciples particularly. He was leaving everyone else, of course, as well. There were many followers. But, but Jesus, was, Jesus was not going to leave his disciples without giving them what they needed, without giving them what they needed, what they were desperate for to carry out his greater plan. Jesus said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now it's very, very brief, and you have it there in your hands, or you have it on, you see it on the screen before you. But I want to read it again and just follow with me as I read. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One translation says, to the remotest parts of the earth. Jesus here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 Jesus is giving his final instructions. We sometimes refer to this, there's a couple of different references for this. 
the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, and again here in the book of Acts, there's a couple different references that we refer to as the Great Commission. This is one of those texts. Jesus is giving his final, his final instructions to them, his last promise, and there's a promise there, his last promise to them before ascending into heaven just a short while later. Now, the words that you see before you, words that you have in your Bible, for those of you that have been serving Jesus maybe a little bit longer time, those are pretty familiar words. We know about them. We, we hear about them. Often when there's a, a missionary here, appropriately they will use this text because it's talking about, uh, it's talking about uh, going and being his witnesses not only in, in the local area, the Jerusalem, but also in Judea, that, was, that would be kind of like their county, right? more their state. Uh, Samaria, that would be like North Dakota. <laughs> and Doug's going, yeah. And, and, then, and then to the ends of the earth. It would, it would, be, it would be wherever. Flanagan's are going to be leaving. They're going to Cameroon very shortly. They're going to, they're going from, and, and I don't mean this in any humorous way, but they're going to the ends of the, they're, they're going to a remote place. Jesus is giving these instructions, and he says, this is what you're going to do. And again, while these words may be very familiar to many of us, I want you to understand, even though they're familiar to us, when the disciples, put yourself in their position, when the disciples were hearing this for the very first time, they were absolutely amazed by those words. They were amazed by them. Because when they heard, and, and you'll see it there, you see the words there, uh, when they heard Jesus say, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, that was new information that would change their world. Now, we don't have a hard time with that. If you're familiar with that, we don't have a hard time with that. But let me tell you something. From their perspective, this was amazing. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Let me explain. Um, the title, Holy Spirit, or Spirit of God means the same thing. The title, Holy Spirit or Spirit of God, is recorded, get this, 17 times in the Old Testament. Now, if you have your Bible, you can, you can tell that, that the, the volume, just the number of pages in the Old Testament, is considerably larger than the New Testament. The Bible's composed of 66 books. 39 of them are in the Old Testament, and 27 are in the New Testament. But only 17 times, that's it, 17 times in all of the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God mentioned 17 times. Now our Old Testament, this, this, this left portion, this first portion of the Bible that we hold in our hands, that was Holy Scripture to the disciples. Of course, they did not have the New Testament yet. That was, that was, that was being written. It would be written in the, in the, in the coming years. But, but, but right at this point, at this point, their Scripture was our Old Testament. So when they read those Old Testament texts, they understood that the Holy Spirit moving on someone or using someone was an extraordinary thing. It was a rare thing. A connecting point this morning, someone mentioned, um, I think it was Bud, mentioned how, how uh, uh, he had read how the Spirit of God came upon a man to help fashion and build the, the Ark of the Covenant. Wow. 
hundreds, a couple thousand years before this point. It was one of the first times where the Spirit of God came upon someone. But it was a rare thing, 17 times. So when the disciples would read Scripture, they would say, oh yeah, the Spirit of God can come upon someone. Kind of like Samson, you know, would come on him. And, and, and he would do these amazing feats of strength. But it was a rare thing that the Spirit of God would ever come upon someone, just 17 times. It was something that seldom or never happened to just regular people. I mean, you had to be pretty big stuff to have the Spirit of God move on you. Now again, remember, Jesus is about to depart, so we know that these disciples have been with Jesus for the better part of three years. They've walked with him, lived with him, faced challenges together with him. And the events of those three years are recorded in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the Gospels, the Holy Spirit is mentioned only 27 times. A lot more than the Old Testament, but still only 27 times. And almost all of those occasions in which it talks about the Holy Spirit is is referring to the Holy Spirit on Jesus. So now, here... As Jesus is about to depart, when Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1 that they would receive the Holy Spirit, there's 12 of them, or yeah, even at this point, there's because they've replaced Judas. So there's 12 of them. They're looking around, and Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon every one of them, that the same Spirit would empower them to be his witnesses in the world. Well, it was almost beyond comprehension. The Spirit of God that is so rare... In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God that we can think of as really only resting on Jesus is now going to rest upon us. We're familiar with that text, but to those disciples, it was like, wow, Spirit of God coming upon, we're just regular folk, man. We're former fishermen and tax collectors. What are we? Spirit of God's going to come on us. Well, it happened just as Jesus said. In the book of Acts, which is the history book of the early church, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 43 times. Isn't that interesting? And almost all of those references have to do with the Spirit of God moving on regular people who follow Jesus Christ. So you get this, remember? Old Testament, 17 times. Gospels, 27 times, almost all of them with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, in the book of Acts, the early church history, 43 times it says the Spirit of God moving upon people. In Acts chapter 2, the very next chapter, on a Jewish holiday called Pentecost, it says the Spirit of God came upon 120 people at one time. That's remarkable. In one moment, in one moment, more people were filled with the Spirit of God than in all other persons recorded in Scripture. In one moment, 120. Later that day, the Bible says... That Peter, one of those who had been in the upper room on that day of Pentecost, who was, he was one of the 120 who was filled with the Spirit of God. It, the Bible says he got up to preach. There was a large crowd gathered because, again, it was a Jewish holiday. And, uh, and so a lot of people had come to Jerusalem from all over. They were Jewish, but they spoke a lot of different languages. And they all came together, and, and they're wondering what's going on. So Peter gets up to preach. And he's empowered by God. In fact, he's sensing a power that he's never had before. He's he's saying things that he couldn't say the day before, the week before, even even a few months. He's able to do something that he could not do before. 
He has a power. There's a new power here because the Spirit of God is in him. And he said to this huge crowd, he said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says just moments later, it happened to 3,000 people. Now think of this, amazing. Old Testament, 17 times. During the Gospels, you know, 27 times, and it's, it's all, almost all in regards to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, in one day, one amazing day, there are 3,120 people, perhaps even more, who were saved and filled with the Spirit of God. It was a pretty powerful day. We mark that day, the day of Pentecost, as the birth of the church. When the Holy Spirit came and began to operate through people. You can read it for yourself again and again. You can read through the book of Acts again and again. The Holy Spirit filled and used regular people. Throughout the book of Acts, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's people said things that would penetrate people's hearts. I mean, they were just in regular places, just, you know, marketplace places. And they would speak something and lives would be changed. They would go into someone's home and they would say something. A life would be transformed. Why? Because the Spirit of God was operating in them and through them. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they knew things that they could not have naturally known. I mean, they come up on someone and they're talking and all of a sudden they say, you know what, There's, this is going on. And the person says, how did you know? Spirit of God. Supernatural stuff. Directed by the Holy Spirit, they went to places and they did things that no one ever considered doing or places where no one ever considered going. You're going to take the gospel where? To those people? Yeah, Spirit of God's telling me. Or in some cases, you will see, I'm going to go here, and the Spirit of God says, no, not there, not yet. I want you over here. And so they go over there. Why? Directed by the Spirit of God, the power of God. Singled out by the Holy Spirit, he gave them supernatural abilities or gifts to do specific and unique tasks. God would say, I want you to do this, and so I'm going to give you the gift, this particular gift, and they would use that gift for the rest of their lives. God didn't give all the gifts to one person. Only Jesus had all the gifts. But he would give different gifts to different believers, and he would say, no, I want you to use this for my glory, for the extension of the kingdom of God. Again, you can read it for yourself again and again and again and again throughout this, this powerful history book of the early church. The Holy Spirit filled and used just regular people who trusted in Jesus to expand the kingdom of God. What they had here, again, let me just refer to this verse here. The task is huge. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the furthest reaches of the world. Now, he's not only speaking to them, but he's actually speaking to us. He's, speaking, he's spoken to every person from that time to this time that we are to be his witnesses. But again, remember it from their perspective. For the first time, they're hearing this, and they're thinking, what a task. Most of these people have not been outside. Some of, they've been to Samaria. They were in Judea. They had gathered in Jerusalem. 
Most of them were from further north on the other side of Samaria, which we call the Galilee region, which was Jewish territory. But most of them, perhaps none of them, had really been outside of that area very much, if at all. And here's Jesus saying, you're going to be my witnesses in these places, but the one that really gets me is to the ends of the earth. Now, now, now they didn't know just how far the ends of the earth were, and they didn't have a globe or a good map at that time, but I'm thinking they're going, wow, that's a long way. That's a big task. Can you imagine being one of those disciples and hearing that? Oh, you're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to go not only to Jerusalem, and they're going, okay, I can, do, I can handle Jerusalem. And you're going to be in Judea, and they can go, Judea is pretty good size. We can, we can, we got, we got. But you're going to go to Samaria and some are going, wait a minute, Samaritans? Samaritans are like North Dakotans, man. We don't want anything to do with them. Samaritans, and I kid, no, it was, it was, it was, Samaritans are like, those are people that we don't necessarily want to go. We, some people, I think they, their lives have been changed, but a lot of people didn't think Samaritans would just die and go to hell. That, that was their feeling. But then they heard that remotest part of the earth Wow, that's a huge task. But please notice, within one line, one verse of your Bible, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus not only gave them a huge task, but he gave them the power to do the task. That's really important. That's why this verse is so important. He gave them a huge task. Be my witnesses wherever you go, and I'm going to take you further than you ever thought. That's what he's saying. But, before he said that, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to empower you so that you can do the big task with a lot of power. Now, again, this is history. This is text. We're, we're dealing with this. This is Acts chapter 1 and following. But here's some really good news. Let's, let's back away from the text. Let's back away from the history of the church for a moment. Let me give you some pretty amazing news as well. It did not stop with those 12 people. It did not stop with them. He the Holy Spirit and His power are available to believers today to do now what they did then. That's why I absolutely love reading the book of Acts. I love reading through the book of Acts. Um, like some of you, I'm in, a, I'm in a, a daily Bible reading program where I'll read a set amount of Scripture every day just as a devotional just to feed me because I, and when I do that, God puts in what the challenges of life take out, right? I don't do it because I'm a minister. I do it because I'm a follower of Jesus, and I need more of him. So I'm reading through. Man, when I get to Acts, it's like fun. I love the book of Acts. I've read through it many times, and so have many of you, but it's, a, it's adventurous. I absolutely love it. But here's what I do. I started doing this a long time ago. When I would read some amazing things that they would do, I would say, God, do it again. When I read the Gospels, and in fact, Jesus said, greater, Jesus said, greater things will you do than even I have done. What? Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus fed thousands of people with a happy meal. How do you do that? Jesus said, greater things? Well, I, I have not, I've not raised people from the dead, and I've not fed thousands of people, but, but I believe that what happened then in the disciples, through the disciples, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as I read it, what happens here can happen here. Now, I want you to get that. I don't want you to read the Bible 
simply with, oh, that was a wonderful thing that happened a very long time ago. It was an extraordinary time. I want you to read the Bible, and when you come across those lines, I want you to say, God, do it again, and do it through me. That's, that's the, really the good news that I have for you this morning, is that the power of the Holy Spirit continues to this day. It did not stop a long time ago. It did not discontinue with a passage of time. It did not die off when they died off. It continues to happen today. Why is that? Well, because not only does he give us his Holy Spirit, but because our task remains great. Because the task is huge. The task we have is still huge. The great commission that Jesus gave to us, he didn't just give it to those people in that far far away, long ago time. Uh, it, 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 was, it was not just given to them, but it was, it was given to us. And we are to be his witnesses throughout the world. I can promise you that none of those people that were there that day had even a concept of what we call now South Dakota or the upper Midwest or the United States of America. Wherever you happen to be from, or wherever you're going to be going to after this service, they had no concept of any of those places. But what we're doing today is fulfilling what Jesus said right back then. So when you are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ at school, at work, with a friend, over coffee, wherever you happen to be, you are fulfilling part of the huge task that Jesus gave us to do in that long ago faraway place. It's still in effect. The task is still there. And the task is so great, it's humanly impossible. Let me say that again. The task given us to do right there, the task is humanly impossible. We simply cannot do it on our own. We simply cannot do it on our own. Here's the thing. We were never supposed to do it on our own. I promise you, and I can, I, this, this, I'll make good on this promise if you don't realize it already. You could do, try your absolute best and you will fall so short of trying to accomplish that task on your own. You will burn out. You will wear out. You will give up. You will shut down. You won't, you won't, you won't uh, change your world in, in any significant way without the power of the Holy Spirit. The task that we have is great, but we were never supposed to do it on our own. That's why he gave us, why? That's what we're asking. Why do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why? Because the task is huge. We desperately, desperately, I didn't know we were going to be singing it. I am desperate for you. Some of you may have a hard time singing that, but I'll tell you what, you better sing it because I am desperate for him. I have to tell you that there's, 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 there's hardly a day that goes, just being flat out real with you guys, there's hardly a day that goes by that at some point I don't look up at God and say, God, this is, this, this is more than I can handle. I need you. 
I mean, there's going to be something in my day. There's going to be some person with some need that is so far beyond anything that I can give them. There is a task that I have, and I go, God, there's some meeting that I have, and I, I, uh, something in the schedule, and I say, God, this is too big for me. I can't handle it. But with you, with your power, with the power of your Holy Spirit, glory to God, it can be done. Maybe you feel the same way wherever you are. We were never supposed to do it on our own. The challenges that believers faced then, we face today. So not only did they have the gifts and the power back then, and we do today, but the challenges that many of them faced, we face today. Do you know that there are still demons at work? No, there are. Now, some of you may be thinking, really? 21st century? Demons? Let me tell you something. Demons are still at work. Seen it this last week. I saw the effect of the demonic this last week. I see it all the time. I've encountered demon-possessed people. I'll tell you what, I do not want to deal with demon-possessed people without the power of the Holy Spirit. I will, I will not do it. I gotta tell you, I didn't plan on saying it. I'm gonna just tell you one time, this is this is a lot of years ago. A lot of years ago, this guy came to me, he was a pastor of another church, and this this guy was absolutely demon-possessed, and 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 he was just it, I won't go into the deep, but it was bad, man. It was bad. And 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 in a lucid moment, this this pastor, he he, he, he knew nothing about being filled with the Spirit. The, pa- the pastor is, he's down, what do I do with this guy? This guy's manifesting demons. It's really bad. And in a lucid moment, the man who was demon-possessed says, you need to go find, you need to go find a, a pastor who's filled with the Spirit of God. So he calls me up. He says, are you filled with the Spirit? I said, yeah, I'm filled with the Spirit. He says, I need your help. I said, what's your problem? He says, i got a guy here who's demon-possessed, and I don't know what to do with him. I said, bring him over. I grabbed someone. He knows who he is. I grabbed someone here in the church. It was a Sunday afternoon, and, we, and I'll tell you what, I want, it, it, was, it was so horrible. I don't even want to explain it because I don't, I, don't, I, I don't want to focus on the power of the enemy. But I'll tell you what, glory to God, that day that man was delivered. There are still demons today, so we better have the power of the Holy Spirit today. We need this, because we're still dealing with some of these challenges. There are temptations that can distract us and destroy us if we give in to them. That did not stop in the first century. How many here have been tempted, be honest with me, how many here have been tempted in some way, in some form, at some point in the last year? Let me see your hands. The rest of you are liars. We're all tempted. Why? Because the enemy wants to take you out. The enemy wants to stop what what, what God is going to do in you and through you. And so temptations are all around us to give in, to surrender to them so that we are rendered ineffective. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us strong so that when the temptation comes, we can, through the power of God, say, no, not in me. I'm desperate for him. He's going to deliver me. Glory to God. There are areas of great resistance to the gospel. Oh, there are areas of great resistance to the gospel. And if you think that that's only in the Middle East or in some, some pagan culture in, 
in some, you know, Southeast Asia area, if you think that the areas of resistance only are in some communist or socialist land, if you think that, that areas of resistance are just here and there, listen, you, 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 I got news for you. There's areas of resistance right here. There are people that you have encountered, somebody that you've tried to take the gospel to, and they're so resistant to the gospel, and they're going to fight you every bit. I mean, it's so hard. It's so resistant. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. These people were first century, and I mean, they're, they're coming against them. They're going into totally new territory where there are like no Christians, where people have never heard of Jesus Christ, where demon powers reigned, where, where pagan religions had just inundated the whole culture and consumed it. Areas of resistance, there were places that the Apostle Paul, a later believer after this, after this group, he came, he would go into places and they would beat him up and they would try and kill him and, and they would run him out of the city if he, if he were, you know, or, or try to kill him and carry him out of the city. And areas of tremendous resistance, we still have those today. Places of resistance. And you don't have to go very far. And some of you know that. You're in places of resistance right now. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. There are physical and there's, there's physical and emotional fatigue. It's, it's hard. I, I know, man, you're, you're, you're working so hard and you're, you're trying to do the right thing. And, 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 and boy, the pressures of life and, the, and the, the resistance of the enemy is just so hard. And there are times when you just say, I am so tired physically or I am so tired emotionally. I just want to quit. I just want to tend my backyard and make my little world perfect and, 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 and let the rest of them perish. I really don't care. I mean, there's that temptation to quit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we go, oh, it's so hard, but I'm just going to keep going. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, our, our God-given task, our, it's not just for them, our God-given task can only be accomplished by supernatural means. Our, let me say it again. Our God-given task can only be accomplished by supernatural means. That's why Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit. It's available. He is available to all of us who call on his name today. He, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Jesus left in physical form, but he sent his Spirit. He can dwell mightily within you. How many here need the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah desperate. Some years ago, I was reading a biography, or not a book, but a a piece about a guy by the name of William Randolph Hearst. Some of you have known him. He was was in the early 20th century as well-known as any powerful magnate today. He, He was incredibly wealthy. He owned a lot of newspapers. In fact, his family started their great wealth uh, in large part with Homestake Gold Mine right here in South Dakota. The family owned the gold mine. Listen, when you own the biggest gold mine in the Western Hemisphere, you are going to have deep pockets, and he did. William Randolph Hearst. Again, a very wealthy man, and he had the means to buy whatever he wanted. His passion was art. He loved classical art. And so he would fill up his mansion in, he had a he had a castle in Wales. He had a mansion in California, probably a lot of other places he had homes. But he would fill his residences with these pieces of classical art. And so whenever he would hear about a piece of art that was available, he would send his agent and 
to go and buy it. Well, he heard about this particular couple of pieces of art that, that, that were, were world known and had been around for, again, hundreds of years. And so he heard about it. As I recall, it was like in Italy or France, Spain, somewhere southern, southern Europe. And, and he heard about this, and so he sent his art agent. He said, I want you to go over there across the Atlantic, and I want you to find that art, and I want you to buy it, regardless of cost, and bring it back. So his art agent gets on a ship, goes across the, goes across the ocean, looks for months, and finally he comes back and he tells, he tells William Randolph Hearst, I found it. I found it. William Randolph Hearst goes, he's excited. He says, where was it? The guy says this, you bought it about 15 years ago. It's in one of your warehouses. He had it all along. He had it all along. You know, I wonder how many, how many followers of Jesus Christ, they, they can look back and they can remember a time in which I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I gave him my life. He saved me. He transformed me. He's changed my life, and I'm a different person today than I was then, and I know that I'm on my way to heaven. I know I'm no longer going to hell. Glory to God. I thank God for that, but they've forgotten that he's also given them the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're struggling. They, they, they love Jesus, and they, they, they know that he's done a transformational work in them, but boy, they, they seem to pray, and nothing happens, or they share the gospel, and it's like nothing happens. And, and the enemy comes and tempts, and so often they give into it, and nothing happens. The eternal value. Why is that? It's because so often, while, while they're saved, they have forgotten that God also promises them, us, today. Not just then, today. He promises us His Holy Spirit. It's, it's an experience that's still for today. It's available to us. The promise is closer than you realize. It's right there. Maybe sometimes people just forget that he's right there. Listen, fellow believer in Jesus Christ, when you came to him, you received so much. You received the forgiveness of sins. Remember what it felt like? Your sins were forgiven. Oh, it felt so good. He, he, when you came to Christ, you received a living relationship with, with Jesus. You, you received the promise of heaven and the escape from hell. <laughs> Remember how good that felt? Oh, I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm going to heaven. It feels so good. You, you received the gift of no more shame. You remember things that you did, but you don't live with the, the shame of it, the, the, the guilt of it. The memory, yes, maybe the consequences of some of that, but, but no longer the shame. Oh, oh, it felt so good to be free of the shame. You re receive from him peace with God and peace in your own mind. What you had tried to find in so many different ways and in so many different places and sometimes with so many different people, you found peace with God and you received peace from him. But Jesus also promised, promises you, Jesus also promises you what he promised them. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live for him and to be his witnesses, to accomplish his will. Jesus 
promises to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promises to you the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live for Him and to accomplish His will. It was never Jesus' intention to empower just a few people in random places. That's Old Testament, that random thing, the occasional thing. It was never Jesus' intention to just be only for a few people, a handful of people, a Judean hillside, faraway place a long time ago. Not anymore. The Bible, from the day of Pentecost on, the Bible tells us that He desires to fill you. Put your name there. He desires to fill you. He desires to provide everything you need to successfully live for Him. It's there. It's there. It's already, it's, it's in the warehouse, so to speak. He desires to give you the tools you need to reach the world around you. Person. And the power of the Holy Spirit is available for you right now. He's been there all along. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, please, and I'm going to ask some of our musicians if they will prepare themselves as well. We're going to go into a time of prayer. Right where you're, where you're at right now, I believe the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, has been speaking to some of you. And there's something within you that's saying, I want that. I need that. It's not just I want. I need the power of His Holy Spirit filling me, using me, defending me, protecting me. I need the Spirit of God. I need you. If that is you this morning, you've never experienced the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you've never, if you've never really experienced that power that, that we've been talking about, the power even that those disciples in that faraway place experienced, the great news, the best news that I can have for you today is that it's available to you. What happened then? The power of the cross applied to them. The power of the resurrection applied to them. The promise of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which applied to them, applies to us today. All of those things, all of those things, all of the things that they went through, all of the experiences that they had, they're for us. They're for us. It didn't stop a long time ago for us. This morning, I would like you to, uh, in fact, would you stand just across the sanctuary? In just a few moments, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and um, we're going to uh, we're going to close around these altars. As soon as I'm done praying, if uh, if you need to go, you may have some. And there's a few people that are slipping out already because you have an obligation. I understand that, but. If you just want a fresh touch from God, if, 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 if there's something that I have shared from God's Word this morning and you're saying, that's what I need, then I want you just to come up here and we're going to pray for you. Don't worry. God is not going to embarrass you. 
not going to do something that is going to take control of you and you're no doesn't happen that way but God desires to fill you with his Holy Spirit he promised it he promised it not just to them to us so this morning as soon as I'm done praying we're going to start singing if you need to go and when you're done praying just go feel free you're not going to hear from me again there's not going to be any formal closing after this prayer but if you want it, just a touch from God, there's going to be people I'm going to ask the, the deacons if they will be among the first to step forward. They're going to help me pray with people. Pastor Brad is here. He's going to help as well. Pastor Ben's on vacation. But there's going to be others who are going to be here to pray with you. I would like a couple of people who are real prayer warriors. You've seen the Lord use you in, in answered prayer. I want you to step forward as well, and I want you to be ready to pray for people. So... This service is going to be done in just a few moments for some of you, but it may be a little while longer for some of you. But if you're just saying, oh, if in your heart you say, I, I want a fresh touch from God. I need his power. I need his direction. I need, I need something more. I, I don't have it, but I know that there's something more. By faith, I want you to step forward, and we're going to pray for you and with you. That what they experienced, we experience. So that what they did, we can do so that what they accomplished in that amazing first century, we can experience and you can do in this amazing 21st century. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the direction of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you've been preparing some people here for really a long time for this day. So now, Lord, as we close this service, but we begin a time of prayer, I ask your blessing, not only what takes place here in people's lives but for what takes place when we leave either in a few moments or in the hours ahead so Jesus we now just again surrender ourselves to you would you come in and would you fill us would you do an amazing remarkable work in every person here before we leave thank you Jesus thank you for speaking to your people we love you we thank you we ask that we will be used of you in mighty mighty ways. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us this day. Thank you for meeting with us around these altars. Thank you for changing children and his kids. Thank you for what you've done throughout this day and for what you're going to do throughout this day as we meet together in life groups, as we fellowship together. Thank you, Lord, your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go this morning. These altars are open. Come as the worship team leads us. I'm